Hi, this is Sarah. If you like this episode of Let's Talk About Sects, you can listen to my audiobook, Do As I Say, How Cults Control, Why We Join Them, and What They Teach Us About Bullying, Abuse, and Coercion. The audiobook will be available on Audible, Apple Books, Google, and Kobo from the 28th of June. A link is in the show notes. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sarah Edmondson is an actor, voiceover artist and activist who spent 12 years in Nexium, rising from student to coach to eventually running her own centre in Vancouver, Canada. After becoming involved with its secret society, DOS, she managed to escape and alongside her husband, Anthony Nippy Ames, became a whistleblower on the cult and worked with the FBI to expose Keith Raniere's crimes. Today, Sarah and Nippy make the fantastic podcast A Little Bit Culty, in which they speak with some incredible guests, including other former cult members and experts in cult dynamics. I'm honoured to have them both on Let's Talk About Sects for this bonus episode today. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. Before we start, a content warning. This episode deals with abuse and trauma, and also has a little bit of profanity. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening too. Now let's get straight into the interview. Well, first of all, it's just such a pleasure to have you both on the show. I'm a huge fan of what you're doing and I want to thank you for putting that out into the world. And so you've you've both taken your own experiences with a rather notorious cult and you've used them to shine a light not only on other cultic groups but culty behaviours across all different aspects of society. So I wondered whether it was clear to you as soon as you looked back on your experiences that these behaviours were to be found in so many different places or did it take you a little while to notice this? I I think it, it started pretty quickly as soon as we started uh, to recognise we were part of something bad um, and, and somebody before us, actually Bonnie, Mark's wife, gave us a resource list of a bunch of movies and we started with, was it Holy Hell we watched first, Nip? Well, there were YouTube about videos Buddhafield. at first. Yeah, some YouTube videos, that, um, kind of jokey ones about like, am I in a cult? And we were pretty floored with the description of what a cult actually is, which is what not what we had been taught in Nexium of what a cult is. Um, so once we saw the the distinguishing factors on the checklist and how clearly we hit all of them, then we saw it, started to see it everywhere. And that's certainly been the journey of the podcast, I think, is like, 
every single person we talk to across the board, whether it's a, you know, a full-blown cult or something that's just a little bit culty, it's the thing, there, there is like such a consistent template of behaviors. Um, but yeah, I think we pretty much saw it right away and then it just snowballed. Isn't that right, Nip? Is that your Yeah, I mean, experience? it kind of, it kind of snowballed into um, at least the terms that we were using and <clears throat> the words we were using were abuses of power. Um, and the reason I like that term is uh, because a lot, a lot of the things that go inside these organizations that we call cults, um, the abuse of power that go inside of them are often going on in other organizations that you and I interact with every day. So I think starting to get sensitive to those um, in our situation allows us to have a lens to see it in other organizations as well. If it's not the same, it's it's a pretty similar flavor, or it rhymes with the behavior. So, um, a lot of and I, a lot of Sarah and I's conversations are about like, does that feel culty, and does that feel a little bit? But really, what I think Sarah and I are talking about is like, is there abuse of power going on there? Mm. And I think that lens and way to reframe it and talk about it in that regard um, has been our lane and been what we're interested in speaking to. Mm. Yeah, because I, I think so many people um, who haven't had a direct experience with a cult think that that sort of behavior is so sort of alien to their lives and they would never get wrapped up in it. But what you see is this sort of behavior happens in all kinds of aspects mm -hmm. of society. So every single one of us is susceptible to it and mm -hmm. we need to know how to recognize it. And people like to think they're not susceptible to it. It helps if you think you're not susceptible. It makes you feel protected, yeah. right? Yes, exactly. And it's, it's kind of an ego thing to think that you're not dumb enough or whatever and you make it about intelligence but there's a lot of conditions that could be going on at any time in your life that might make you susceptible to wanting to do a quote good thing mm. which leads you down mm. the road that most of us 99 percent of us went down yeah that's right and so um with a little bit culty what are some of the more surprising aspect uh, areas of society where you've found some cult-like tendencies operating that you've talked about um Honestly, nothing really surprises me anymore. It It's like, of course, like we got an email today about um, culty behaviors in the dance community and how dance has this whole culty underbelly and, and, you know, academia is culty. And I mean, there's sort of like, you know, the obvious ones and almost all the, almost every religion has a culty offshoot, if not the whole religion itself being culty. Uh, what's been the most surprising Um I think, uh, again, I don't really feel surprised. I'm like, well, of course, there it is too. Uh, you, but was there well, any that, that I would really shocked love you? to add to that, but what I was going to say is nothing really surprises <laughs> me anymore. Um, after having so many conversations and living enough life, you know, you kind of, you know, my dad said he had a conversation with one of his friends in his field uh, about what happened to me. And the guy said, what the guy, was he sleeping with him? Did he want sex, power? And the fact that he was so quick to have a response to the description of my scenario told me that like he had seen it before. He's like, yeah, of course, mm -hmm. you know? And so these things don't really rear up and you know, they're in the news all the time. So I don't really get surprised per se. There's uh, surprise isn't the word I would use. I would say, I don't know, Sarah, what would you say? Um, I think if anything, it's just, it, just seeing like there's a, a daycare, not daycare, like a school, uh, program uh, Waldorf that I don't know if it's in, in Australia. Um, I that, think so. Okay, it's it, it, take a look. Take a look. You might want to do an episode on mm -hmm. it. It's a little bit culty, but like we had our son in it when we were leaving, and there were just some of the things 
that were going on that I just felt uncomfortable with, but I couldn't place it. And then we left and we learned all these words to describe the abuses and like the tactics that the groups use. Mm-hmm. And I was able to name the things that were happening in the program. I don't think, I don't think Waldorf is a cult per se, but there was, yeah, certainly... I don't think it's proprietary. No, but, um... but there were just things about it in terms of the dogma and the rules and the sort of slightly hidden agenda. Like you think you're signing up for a, it's very natural. Everything's made out of wood. There's no plastic. It's a certain methodology of education that I, elements of it I really liked, but there's also this hidden kind of we're, I think we're going to do an episode on it. I, um, possibly, I've just you know I've about? just Googled it. So Waldorf in Australia is Steiner. Um, right, yeah. same thing. Yeah, 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 and that's Rudolf Steiner, right? Yeah. yeah. And I do believe that he is a rather rather culty person if you look up his uh, right. his background and his approach. Mm. Yes. Robert Evans did an episode for Behind the Bastards that I listened to, which was very enlightening. <laughs> I will add that to my to-do list because I've wanted to do one on Waldorf slash diner for a while. Um, and it, needless to say, we pulled Troy out of Waldorf. But um, I was like, I, I guess it's, it, like Nippy's right. It's not surprise isn't the right word. It's more just, oh, there it is again. And mm. can I you look believe it, it there too? <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah. look for it now. You know, like even when, you know, Sarah and I were looking at schools, you know, I was like, Sarah, I'm not putting my kid into something that's dogmatic in this way. And I'm, I think I might be a little oversensitive to it because of our situation. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm not sure because these, we happen to be living in pretty polar polarizing times right now. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to assess, but I'm sensitive to it. And I -hmm. certainly will go make sure that what I'm sensitive to isn't going on. Mm. And maybe it's, maybe it's worth being slightly yeah. oversensitive to that I, one. <laughs> I'll be that guy. That's kind of what I told Sarah. I was like, I'll be the guy that goes in there and, and make sure I don't have a problem with that. Um, we've kind of covered this a little bit already, but a lot of people tend to think that it's a certain type of naive and vulnerable person who ends up in a cult. And in some ways um, the accomplished and impressive people who rose up the ranks of Nexium really helped to dispel that myth. As we as we all know, nobody joins a cult, um, and I've come to understand anyone could end up in a coercive group. And those of us who are idealistic and looking to dedicate ourselves to something meaningful are sometimes most at risk of handing over power and control to the wrong guru. I'm wondering what warning signs from your personal experiences do you think we could educate others to look out for at the outset and that might have helped you to think twice about the path that you were on before you got so far along it? Great question and and also great lead-in and I appreciate that. I, I think that certainly is a myth that is being dispelled in this new golden age of cult awareness. You know, look at us with our two cult podcasts <laughs> talking about about these things. And, and um, yeah, but I think what is true about that myth is the naivete. And I, you know, even though I wasn't weak, I I was, I was, my vulnerability was looking for community and purpose. And I think my my idealism and me not knowing how cults operate, put a, you know, I put rose colored glasses on and overlooked a number of red flags right from the beginning. So I didn't, like, if I had watched The Vow, and this happens where people either, you know, watch The Vow or listen to the podcast or whatever, and then they get invited to something and they're like, I know what I'm looking at now because you taught us that is word salad and that is love bombing and that is, you know, there's very specific tactics. I didn't have any of that template and have any of that. My only understanding of cults was vaguely hearing about Jonestown and Waco. You know, that's it. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't happening. So when 
they presented something like sashes. And my gut instinct is that's weird. Nippy always says sashes, bowing and Vanguard, you know, I'm out. But once you've paid $2,000 and the person you really trust is like, stick it out till day three. And then it, it gets great. You, I mean, at least for me, I overrode a lot of red flags and I certainly part of my personal non-culty mission is to educate people on those red flags. And one of them is, you know, revering somebody. We were, I mean, we were bowing to Vanguard and saying, thank you, Vanguard, in our five day. And he had, I'd never even met him yet. Mm. And just the fact that everyone was idolizing him and putting him on such a pedestal, I just, I felt really, I mean, I felt uncomfortable. I didn't feel that, that was right. But then I'd also been instructed that we're going to feel uncomfortable. And that means there's something there to look at. Like, clearly, I have an authority issue. Hmm. Right. So and I, that would be another red flag if they're if they're telling people to not trust their, you know, trust their gut instincts, that their gut instincts are wrong because you have in this case, the next is called a disintegration. Hmm. Well, I've, I have so many. Nippy, would you, you jump in. Yeah, I mean, it's a loaded question in a lot of ways because people go for various reasons um, and each person has their own uh, kind of story. Um Sarah hit a lot of it. If I was going to hit something a little bit differently, you know, I look at why I did it. I didn't trust the institutions that were in place to really um, do what they say to do. Mm -hmm. That's where I was in my life. And here's something that came along that was outlining an ethical platform uh, that spoke to me and what I thought would address a lot of the problems of the world. And that was people working on themselves to become more ethical. Mm -hmm. um, was I vulnerable and naive? Naive, yes. Um, I wasn't particularly vulnerable at the time. Um, not that there would be anything wrong with that. Um, if that were the reason to do it, I was more looking for like a mission and a purpose mm -hmm. and it outlined it, um, in a pretty interesting way that I thought I hadn't heard in other institutions that had seemingly not been doing their job. So it got me in that kind of altruistic phase. And that's where I think I was naive because the systems in place have been here for a long time. There's a lot of bad things about them and there's a lot of good things about them. And, it's actually ironic that the systems in place were the things that were able, we were able to use to put them away. So it's kind of a full circle uh, story for me in that regard. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's such an interesting point. And it's just, it, it I don't even know what to say about it. It's sort of um, ironic is probably the wrong word, but it's so it's sort overused. Of, yeah. <laughs> devastating though, that it's like the, you can see the breakdown of these systems that we have, power structures in so many aspects and that they're letting down the the public and that's all through corruption and abuses of power mm -hmm. and that's sending people into these other groups which are abusive as well it's just this horrible cycle isn't it right and that actually happens a lot the cult the cult the, the cult shaped the hashtag i got out movement that we're part of um just did a post about this which is the, and it's a quick tangent little it's a not culty <laughs> community for people recovering and trying to share their stories publicly to, you know, blow the lid off the shame that comes with recognizing, holy crap, I've been duped. But they just did a post about when you leave, you have this cult shaped hole mm. in your, in yourself and your heart and your well being, And then you go looking for something to fill the hole. And so it's a lot of people end up just joining another culty community or another, you know, so it's like going from one bad relationship to another, mm. which is very common, right? Mm. Absolutely right. And I think that there's this um, wrong notion that people have that you get out of a cult and then you're free. Hooray, everything is wonderful. And it's just <laughs> there is so, yeah. so much yeah. more. Um, I'm yeah. going to skip ahead because I have a question which was about um, 
I'm, I'm really interested to know your thoughts about what our societies could be doing better to help protect people. Um, but also I, I think um, this is more focused on to assist those who manage to exit because I think so many people come out and there is that cult-shaped hole and there's nothing to fill it. And I wondered what would have, what would have really helped you in the aftermath and what do you think might help others in that situation? Well, we had a ton of help. Um, yeah, we were actually very supported. We were, um, how do I put this? Uh, you know, I tell Sarah this and anyone who asked her this, we made a lot of really good decisions in a short amount of time that led to us not being in litigation for five to 10 years or mm-hmm. whatever. And I think that had to do with a lot of the work that had already been done out there that was literally waiting for us on YouTube videos books, in some cases, podcasts, documentaries, mm-hmm. specifically Stephen Hassan's book um, and Yanya Lalich's book, you know, the first 30, 60 pages, I was going through it going, holy shit, holy shit, holy, oh my God, oh my God, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. And just getting a download of like, because um, I'm kind of idiot savant that way with statistics. <laughs> and, and I just got a download of what I, you know, reconciling my delusion. Mm-hmm. And um, next thing you know, you know, you know, Sarah as well, we're kind of going through it, through it together. And she got interviewed um, with things in the fall. I don't think I was really ready to get interviewed. I didn't really want to process my trauma on camera, but Sarah had to get, kind of go out there and tell her story. Um, so there's a lot of things that were going on for us in terms of we had to f- get in a fight and deal with reconciling our delusion. Mm. Um, and it all happened really quickly. And it seemed like we got lucky and, um, I tell Sarah, our angel showed up when we needed him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't you say, Sarah? Now we believe in angels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't where, know what where, we believe in. Where I was a slave to the law of physics before any of this. But when you have kind of what I would call maybe a spiritual or dark light experience, it becomes pretty undeniable to you. So denying it would just be, you know, dying, denying your own reality. So that's what I feel like happened. Oh, it's great that you uh, managed to find that support and that that was there for you. That's really fantastic. I speak yeah, to a lot I think of that people. That was karma too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you had some owing no, to you. I no, think. It, it, <laughs> well, it was no because we, you know we don't talk about this a lot, but Sarah and I were like the first ones in, last ones to go. You know, mm-hmm. we were working pretty hard, and we, we were actually hard. helping people. Mm-hmm. Right, so it was possible to be. We didn't under, start a harem. <laughs> yeah, it was possible right. to be a part of abusive regime and be doing some good work with some people and their goals. Mm. And so I tell Sarah, it was that work that allowed us to have the good karma when we got out, I think. Yeah. yeah. You'd, you'd put in that work to build that. I believe in ourselves. that. No, I, yeah. we, we dumped a lot of positive energy into the universe and I think we got it back when we needed it. Yeah. Good. I'm just thinking if there's anything else. Like, I mean, I think it would be great to have government and, you know, I think fine. we ended up being okay. Like our family supported us and I ended up, you know, I went back to voiceover and, mm-hmm. but if I hadn't had that, and, and I certainly know there's a lot of people that get out and they've lost their income, they've lost their community. And that's why actually a lot of people stay. Like, I'm sure mm-hmm. you know this talking to Mormons and Jehovah's Witness where like everything is in the community. Mm-hmm. And the thought of starting fresh is like, some people don't even know how to write their resume or CV because They've never had to. And it's like you're really starting from scratch. Um, so I think having, I don't know, some sort of, I, I don't know the terms, but some sort of assistance through either through the government or through, I mean, our, our goal is through the podcast and the, and the hashtag I got out is to provide something, some sort of scholarships or, you know, get back on your feet, mm-hmm. chunk of money. And, and, and also like, you know, somebody hand, one of my goals is to be able to hand over a, a box of books and, 
healing resources and like business cards or like phone calls with therapists because sometimes you just don't even know how to where to where to start yeah, how to find something I guess to trust. It starts like this too. Mm. I mean, you have to have these conversations and you have to um you you want people to be approached by these things and when they're approached by them laugh at them almost like an infomercial. Um you want you want someone like Keith Raniere, the future Keith Raniere's to open their mouths and people go, <laughs> okay, buddy, you know, that, that, that's what you yeah. want because put it you know, back in your pants. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just try, you know, but there's always going to be, you know, people that are going to be susceptible to it. And it depends how much you can reach that and get that kind of education in our systems. And, you know, I think people laugh at in- infomercials, but people still, you know, do it. Or whatever it is, you know, whatever the snake oil of the day is. Yeah, and I think um, it's always important to remember that there are, you know, there are many people who are born into these groups and didn't make that choice to join. So Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that certainly doesn't mean not be sensitive to that. Um, it, it's tricky because that means in terms of education, how do you how do you even reach those people? So, yeah, I just think there's a, a, an awful lot more we could be doing. But... But one thing is definitely, um, you know, talking about these things so openly so that there's less of a stigma attached uh, so that when people come out, hopefully they can avoid some of that shame and embarrassment because people sure. have more understanding of what they've been through and put put the blame where it belongs rather than on right. the survivor. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it always boils down to some sort of empathy. Mm. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's what all our systems are missing a little bit right now. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, so. Um, in terms of leaving, people find the strength to leave these high control groups for all kinds of different reasons. And I have, you know, huge admiration for anyone who manages to do so. I, I think there's still a real underestimation of the dynamics that keep people entangled and make it really hard to get out. I often wonder whether if I were in that situation, would I have found the strength to do it? I have no idea. But when a group does implode and a leader ends up in prison, that can help a lot of followers see the error of their mm-hmm. ways. But in the case of Keith Raniere, he still has some pretty staunch devotees. And I wondered if you had any idea why some people can't come to terms with the reality of the situation in spite of everything that's come out in those court cases. Uh, for every person, it's case by case. Mm-hmm. And the point I want to make on this is normally um, they don't have anything to go back to. And normally there's some sort of pride or ego aspect to it where they don't want to be seen as a kind of person who's dumb enough because people make it about intelligence to fall for this. So they're protecting their self-image. And there's nothing that they have to lose by doubling down on on their self-image. So really their self-image is the only thing that they have left to save. Mm -hmm. Right? In, In a certain cases we had we have had a lot of conversations with people who left who didn't really believe us at first and kind of trying to figure out what happened. They were in Mexico. And one person said, I didn't leave right away because I had family members in and I had a lot to lose if I took the stand that you, you, you took, Mm. right. I still had to get my family out and I still had assets and resources. And so his response to the people that were still loyal is like, they just don't have anything to lose. Mm. They have nothing to weigh it with. They have nothing weighing against like if they had, a, a, a career to go back to or a family that, you know, they had to go back to or some sort of job, <clears throat> they would probably make the pivot and choose a more rational decision. But instead they double down because all they have left is 
they made this huge investment and it was wrong. Mm-hmm. And you see it a lot in a lot of other domains, like buying a stock. People just don't want to sell the stock because they don't. They still think it's going up. Um, so, you know, I, it's a tough place to be. I can't. They haven't even begun to do the work of reconciling what happened to them because they haven't admit anything's happened to them. And consequently, they deny that other people are going through abuses or were at the are victims to Keith because they would have to admit they were as well. Mm-hmm. And that's a pivot they're not willing to make yet. Mm-hmm. And what about that other thing we learned listen, recently? And it'd be about how, and this ha- they use the example of with Heaven's Gate, how like when the when there's a doomsday prophecy and it doesn't happen, mm-hmm. like some people oh, leave, oh. And, but, but a so lot of people the, double down the because they're yeah, like it, it's, it's you'd think that like if when you look at this from a I want to say. Sane's not the right word because I think I'm pretty sane and I got, you know, majorly messed with in my head. But like from from a perspective of somebody not in a cult, you you look at it and go, oh, when the leader's wrong about the world ending, then that's his time to get out. But there's a there's this process where because of the shame and especially if anyone's been in a group or their family or friends are saying you're in a cult and then something like that happens, they have to wrap their they have to do a bunch of mental gymnastics to say, well, they weren't wrong. They just, this is actually a test from God to see, like there's a, you know, they come up with all sorts of different reasons in that case, like it's a test from God to see who would be loyal no matter what. And now we, now we're even more dedicated to the leader and there's a new date for the end of the world and that kind of thing. So in that way, I see the, a lot of the people that stay loyal um, with Nexium is that if they were to really admit that failure then they, it's, it's such a huge, I don't even know how they would deal with it because I know how it felt for me five years ago, Mm. right? We've been out for five years and, and then there's a bonding in that. And a lot of the people that stay, they don't don't really have, as like they said, but they only have each other. And there's a bonding in, in that sort of like, we're the last ones standing and we are the only ones. And then also you have to remember the indoctrination specifically of the curriculum, which was so manipulative, which is basically like, your commitment to never get off the path was the only thing you had. Your word was your commitment. Your commitment was your power. Anyone who got off the path, and by the path, I mean the straight path or the commitment to your growth through Nexium with your dedication to Keith Runeri at the top, if you got off that path, you were weak. You would never work through your issues and you would essentially perish. You know, So it's not like in some religious cults, it's you're going to die and God will smite you and or you'll be blinded, and or you'll literally they say you'll you'll die of cancer on the streets. But this is a, a deep attack on one's internal character, and they believe that they will be the ones to fight to him. And 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 that was you remember Nippy and part of the question in the in the curriculum there was like what would you die for? Hmm. Would you die for anything? What are your principles? And if you didn't have that, you were like not really principled. So they believe they are the most principled to stand up against the people who are doing a smear campaign against them. Yeah, I don't I don't think they believe that anymore, though. I don't know what they believe. I could just go from what I've learned about this process. <laughs> but I, I do think. <laughs> no, I mean, that. in terms of like. Normally, the people who are most abused and humiliated are the ones that are going to have the hardest time reconciling their delusion. Uh-huh. Unless, oh, they that ha- component unless, too, yeah. unless they have an incentive to do it. I mean, some of those qualities, when you mention them, they, in other contexts, are really such wonderful qualities, that sense they of are. dedication and, you know. Yeah. Um, he, he leveraged nobility, vulnerability, and people's principles. It's, it's called um, moral, uh, moral abuse. 
It was in Daniel Alich's book. It was like n- number eight of the 14. I just looked at that and went, oh, that's mine. That's mine. Um, <clears throat> so it's, yeah, it's a hard one because you, you think I believed I was doing something good while aligned with someone who was doing abusive behaviors. It's a tough pill for me to swallow. And I was arrogant about it too. I was arrogant. I had like the best model and I was good. And then what we're doing was good. Right. So it was just, you know, I had egg in my face. Yeah. Yeah. Such a hard thing to, to be able to turn around and come to terms with. But and once you do, you get the wisdom and you get the lessons and you don't do it again. That's, yeah. that's, that's the, that's the journey, I guess. Right. I don't know. And as you say, there is a really, really supportive community out there that would would welcome anyone with open arms who comes out mm-hmm. of that experience, right? I hope so. Yeah. I wondered if you could tell me about an aspect that you think the general public and perhaps also the authorities in terms of maybe police and, and prosecutors uh, tend to misunderstand about cults and how they operate. Oh, that is a good question. Well, I, I think it's changing. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to say our case is the catalyst, but I think it's safe to say, when you say Sarah, it. that it's, it's close to it. Um, in large part, because you've seen a lot of similar cases happen since and the perpetrators be held accountable. And also some of the language in those court cases is language taken from the Nexium trial. <clears throat> so I think, you know, uh, law enforcement is getting a crash course in a lot of ways um, and getting educated at least in the United States, you know, I, I don't know that our court case, our case would have been handled and, and, and done in the way in, in many other countries, uh, because you were up against Bronfman money mm. against the department of justice. And I would venture to say that Bronfman money carries a little more weight, maybe a, a Canada or a Britain or, or, or I don't know. So I don't know. I, and, and to think that it would happen so quickly in under a year or two, I'd say, Law enforcement is onto it and has a template um, to use. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, sorry, you go ahead. Oh, yeah, just specifically, oh, and I'm sure you could speak to this even better than we could with your experience, but just the concept of coercive control. You know, yeah, that's, for sure, for sure. That's something that may be filtering into the system now, but I don't know if like a police officer showing up at a compound or a farm or a yoga studio would know what they're looking at. You know what I mean? Like when I, when I went to the FBI and tried to explain the branding, <laughs> I mean, the look on the guy's face, he, like, but he, and, and it, and it truly was like, but you, you, you consented to it. <laughs> you know, like he couldn't wrap his head around it. So I think that there needs to be training certainly around how that process works and why it happens and what it looks like. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I'm thinking often about people who come out of groups that are, um, you know, there's not some huge crime that's being committed. In my mind, there is a crime that's being committed, but in many places sure. it's not recognized yeah. as a crime. But yet you've got people coming out with huge amounts of trauma who are trying to rebuild an entire life and they have nothing to, you know, they go to the police and the police say, well, you chose to be there. And it's like, well, there's still a real a real kind of gap in the understanding there. And coercive control is is the key as far as I can tell. But many of the laws being discussed are really only around coercive control in terms of a one-on-one domestic abuse right. situation. So recognizing it in a in a larger, broader context, I think is important. 
Um, so I don't know if you recall the story of Elizabeth Smart, who was kidnapped yes. in Utah, yeah. right, in the, in the 90s as a teenager. And I think she, she was with him for years. And when the police found her, like, she couldn't express that she was, that it was her. They were asking her, is this you? And she'd been so trained to say it wasn't. And that it, also in her mind, if she did, her family was going to die. Mm. Because that's what he'd said. He said, if you, if you, ever, if you ever tell anyone that, who you are, I'll kill you and your family. So, like, that's, so I, I, I just, that's another, a whole other level of course of control of what a victim might look like who's in the grasp or who's in the grips of, of a predator or a sociopath or, you know, any, any of these, these leaders. Yeah. And I, yeah, I really, I do, I hope you're right that the kind of the Nexium case and everything that's come to light has helped authorities to understand that situation more because, yeah, to think how hard it must have been to explain that sort of branding situation and then to be faced with someone mm. who you really have to explain it to in such an intense way. The other thing I think about a lot is... um it can be quite hard to find a therapist who has the right understanding of cults. And so a lot of people Absolutely. I speak to, yeah, they've gone to someone and they've tried to explain what happened and you, you pour it, all of this out onto a therapist and then they just don't get it. <laughs> and then you have to do it yeah. again with the right person. Mm. Yeah. We talk a lot about that on our podcast is, is, you know, finding, and we, and I actually have that by the way, if, if your listeners are interested on my website, sarahedmondson.com slash resources are a lot of the books we recommend and the movies, but also th some therapists that we think are, are good in this area. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Make sure to include a link in the show notes as well so people can find that really easily. Um, okay. So I, I have, a, I have a, a bit of a specific question, but uh, let's talk about sex. Listener was really excited to hear I'd be speaking with you and he's been, or I think he did a PhD on um, Asimov and he wondered uh, whether Keith Raniere ever talked about Isaac Asimov yes. or his foundation yes. novels at Nexium. Yeah, I, got, I got this one, Sarah. Yeah, go yeah. for it. I, yeah. I, actually, I actually heard him say this. Um, the whole concept of... Nexium, which actually when I first took it was only executive success program. So this is when this was said to me is that Keith read the Isaac Asimov's foundation book. And I think there's a series of them mm. and came up with the ESP curriculum hmm. after, right after he read it, which is bullshit by the way, <laughs> but it was a way of him aligning himself with that kind of mind. And, and I went and read the foundation and it was, which is pretty fascinating uh, book um, and was like, Oh, I see what he's coming up with. He's, he's answering the questions that humanity needs to ask in order to move forward and all that. And he's getting people to think about it. That's what I thought. That's uh -huh. what I in, inferred from it. Um, so that was the kind of um, when they're building the myth of Keith around the organization, you know, 240 IQ, it's like, yeah, he read these books, the foundation, he was like 14 or whatever he was. And then immediately came up with the curriculum. Mm, interesting. Um, I'm sure that listener will be interested to hear that. I think yeah. he uh, had a theory that the ideas around psychohistory or which is around mathematically predicting human behavior, which was a yeah, part of this foundation series. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that it was actually quite problematic as a process and could result in basically authoritarian type uh, structures. So, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, when you think about it, um, 
I know Sarah to behave a certain way in certain situations. So Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, I'm familiar with her quote algorithm, which might call her behavior. If you have a curriculum that's eliciting your belief systems and you're remembering them and you're using them to abuse people, like, you know, exactly how they're going to behave if that's why you're eliciting those belief systems from. So my algorithm of Sarah would become more refined to the point where I can maybe control her because I understand all her Mm. weaknesses and all that. Ah, that's what you're doing to me. (laughs) No, that's what the curriculum does, right? And so, well, I mean, fundamentally, like, you know, we're not psychologists, Sarah, right? And so when people tend to put out a persona, whether we buy it or not, we interact with it, right? It isn't until they do a behavior that seems a little untrustworthy or whatever that we kind of go, what are they up to? Well, we learned to figure out what people were up to, um, and in order to help them, he did it so he could control them and abuse them and, and use them in, in whatever way that he did and said it's for the foundation and built this whole lore about how he was a humanitarian. It's bullshit. Mm. So that was the con. So we thought we were just doing, you know, kind of the Lord's work by helping people. But I don't particularly care what people think, you know, unless they want to volunteer it. And it's a agreed upon conversation, if that makes sense. Right. Uh-huh. So it's and just I kind to of be have clear. A, the yeah. Lord's work, we're just using that. That's it's a metaphorical. Yeah. It's a metaphor. We, we, we it's never a metaphor. said that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. In fact, that's probably one of the first times I've ever said that. <laughs> but maybe it's a bad choice of words. I don't know. Well, but, that, but it is true. Even though it wasn't religious, we really, it felt like we were doing the most important thing is another way of saying it, right? Yeah. And it's all higher purpose, right? And if yeah. we really were, Sarah, then, we, you know, we might still be doing it. But we found out we weren't. And- we found one way to not do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, the word bullshit has come up a couple of times in your, your responses here, so I'm not sure if... Uh, Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's absolutely Sorry. fine. Not a problem at yeah. all. I, I just wonder if this is a predictor of the answer to my next question, which I always, um, I always am interested to know from people who've had direct experience in a cult about their leader, and so I'd love your perspective on is how much do you think Keith Raniere really believed in what he taught and how much do you think it was just about power and control and manipulation of people to get what he wanted? All power and control, period. There's not an altruistic bone in his body. I think he's a psychopath. I think he has a disdain for humanity rather than a love for it because there's no way you would be able to do what he did to people um, and call him a humanitarian. He is the, he is a single kind of person that humanity needs to look out for because they don't have a conscience. Mm-hmm. They do not care. There is no off switch and they will steamroll over anyone and their capacity to spit out lie after lie after lie is staggering. It's a scary person. People need to figure out what those people look and sound like. And I guess there's maybe there's also an element of um, because of that real narcissism, like is there a chance that he just believed that he deserved all of the, you know, the, the, the people to be slaves to him because he was just. So I'm going to answer that the way Dan Shaw, who's the guy that helped us when we got out, we have, because those kinds of people have never subjected themselves to analysis. We can't really say for sure. Mm-hmm. So I can't really say for sure what I do believe in some of like the memes and the things that you see about these kinds of people is that they thrive on that and that is kind of their drug, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so their capacity, and he's even described it um, in 
the psychopath's ways, the longer he can hold off the payoff of your pain and he's compared it to an orgasm, uh, the better the payoff when the destruction happens. Oh, that's giving me goosebumps. I know. Yeah. It's Do you remember so, Nip- no, this is stuff that yeah. he was describing how to look for other people that were psychopaths while describing yeah. himself. He taught us this methodology as if there were people in the world who do this and this is what to look for. And he described it how like if you're pissed at, say, your neighbor for getting the promotion that you didn't or whatever, or they have a nicer car or whatever, something you're jealous of. In a moment, you could go like key their car and that would feel good for a second. But a sociopath would slowly poison the neighbor's dog over a period of six months, for example, and and know that it's coming. So like we know this now. Like and, and walk, now that we walk know life thinking your dog's, you know, happy. He knows that your destruction's coming. Mm-hmm. It's a fucked up psychology. It's like it's hard to get and what makes people susceptible to it is I would never think that he's doing that. You would never think that he's doing that. Right. Sorry, Sarah, I cut you off. No, that's it. Just, um, just share, just sharing how, um, you know, and, and there's, there's, there's women around him who, who died from yeah, all you have to do is look at his mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 All so many women around him had cancer and there was, you know, talk of how he thought that, that, piece, that the water was being poisoned. Who do you think poisoned the water? <laughs> like, it's, he has path of destruction. Yeah. Um, his life is. And you, ha- you have to figure, and I wrote this, I think, in the letter to the president of the company uh, right after this happened, is like, where is this going? You know, the, the, the physical branding of his initials on people is a physical manifestation of a lot of emotional, emotional abuse for someone to get to that stage. Mm. And I said, if the, I said something to the fact if this is an algorithm or if this is, you extrapolate this over the next couple of years, wh- what, how do you level up? from putting your initials on someone like what's the Mm. next step. And he has this itch that he can't scratch. He's just going to keep up in the ante and up in the humiliation to the people that are following him to ensure their loyalty. Because if they leave, they have to admit they did these humiliating things to themselves. So he has a lot of leverage and a lot of coercive power over these people still. And um, it's just dangerous. And had it not manifested in a physical form, it's very hard to quantify and hold these people accountable. And they're out there in their positions of power. So, you know, those are optics for you. <laughs> uh, and I just always want to ask, like, what can we do to stop these people? But it, it always just always, kind of tends to come back to education, educate, yeah. educating, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, that really comes back to what you're, you're doing with the podcast. Um, I think you, it's fantastic that you've harnessed your experiences to, to try and put this out in the world and educate more people. So I really want to congratulate you on the work well, thank you've been you doing. For that. With that. Of course. And the topics you explore, I think they're really, really interesting. Um, you've had some incredible guests and you've covered such important grounds. So I wondered what can your listeners expect next? You know, season five, which which drops in the fall, um, we've recorded almost half of it already, and we have some incredible guests. We had a fascinating conversation. It's going to be controversial in this space um, with Eckhart Tolle about toxic spirituality and, you know, how to look for a leader that's not a, not a con man. Um, wonderful, probably my favorite ever, although toss-up with Eckhart, a two-hour conversation. Uh, podcast interview with Evan Rachel Wood about her experience in Hollywood with Marilyn Manson, which was emotional, riveting, intense, beautiful, cathartic. Uh, very, very, very excited about, about that. Um, 
uh, an hour with Dr. Romani, narcissist expert, who's wildly... Her, She's great. Her, yeah, she just knows so much about the topic. Um, but we're season five will be a little bit different. We're, we're definitely going to keep going with survivor stories, but also balancing it with experts, just partly for our own sanity. <laughs> and uh, we are taking a break for the summer because we're moving to Atlanta and just needing to, to um, you know, be normal humans and parents also. But we're really excited for season five. Our listenership and the people who find us send us I'm sure they do this for you too, Sarah. Send suggestions of what to cover of almost daily. Yeah. 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 And um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about doing this with you. And, and if we can collaborate in any way and support each other, it's it's so important. Like the, we're, we're all, what we're both doing of this, everyone doing in this space in terms of shining light and educating, I do think to answer your earlier question does, it, it basically encourage, it does encourage people to keep speaking. And I think that's why these groups have existed for so long because people have left cults so, since, since cults existed, but nobody talked about it because they were so embarrassed. And I, I, one thing I love about being public about my experience is that people share with me and they'd be like all the time, either in person, literally stop us on the street. Mm-hmm. Nibby, I forgot to tell you this happened yesterday <laughs> at the folk festival uh, oh, yeah. where I was in Vancouver, but people stop us and they say, they hadn't told anybody that they were in a cult or a cult-like group or in a course of control dynamic. But because of the podcast, they were able to, you know, share it, own it, write about it, talk about it. And I think that's what stops these people is that the more we talk and share, we know what the red flags look like and we don't make the same mistakes ever again. Yeah. And that just goes down hopefully till. These guys, like Nippy said, will just get laughed at when they invite them to their, you know, oasis or business opportunity or ranch, whatever. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I mean, just I always say like all credit to all of the people who've, who've spoken with me for the podcast and shared their stories, because my understanding about the whole thing comes from from all of those survivors. And I just I'm so impressed by all of them. And there are such incredible, wonderful people who've had these experiences. I think it's not for everyone to be able to talk about it. Sometimes there's too much trauma and, you mm-hmm. know, no, no pressure on those people whatsoever. But for those who do, it's, I think it's really helping that understanding in the world. I think even just in the time that I've been doing the podcast, there's just such an increased understanding about the dynamics. The coverage, even in mainstream media, I think has been improving. It used to be all just really sensationalist stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's really fantastic to see. Um, and those guests sound amazing. So I can't wait to listen mm-hmm. to the season five. But uh, yeah, you definitely need to take some time off in the meantime. That's important Thank to take you. some time it out. <laughs> Nippy, did I miss anything about what people can look forward to? Merch. Oh, we have merch coming. That's exciting. We're on Instagram. Uh, I don't know. New website. Uh, no, I, I, I think you covered it. Okay. By the way, uh, you're in Australia. And mm. I just, an article that I was just a part of with Stephen Hassan, some other people just came out in, I don't even know what this paper is. In Sydney Morning like, Herald uh, and The Age, I think, the Fairfax Media. It's the Age. Excellent. The Age. Excellent Did you article. see it? I have. I read that. I read that article. It was really, really good. Like, that's an example. Yeah, I was of good. The, very impressed. It was good. Yeah. And that's Sharon. The, Sharon Groch or Groch, I don't know how to say her name, like really good journalist. I was very impressed. Yeah, and it's a really, it has length and it really gets into the detail. And I just thought that's yeah. exactly the kind of coverage that 
I hope we're moving more towards. And yeah, yes. It was it was it was good to see see you interviewed for that one for sure. Yeah, I'm so excited about that because that's the kind of thing that somebody who may not have HBO or watch The Vow, you know, or have our listen to our podcast might read that article and go, oh, I don't know that about cults. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's that's such a it's such a win. I think yeah, that type of media like you got to hit all the all the different mediums. Yeah, that's- well, it's, it's also to have the people interviewing you not tacitly judging you mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and not having the preconceived notions yes, and ideas yeah. of what they're trying to yeah what they're trying P- to say people people think they can hide that but they just can't and it actually comes out in their questioning too yeah i bet but when you know however many years we've been doing it you can kind of sit down and go okay i'm gonna have to inform this person a little bit more yeah <laughs> yeah we got to back up. We got to set. We got to lay yeah. a foundation. We didn't have to do that with you. Well, I think that's that's what we're relief. doing. We're inf- <laughs> we're informing. You know, Sarah. Yeah. When I, I played that JFK Kennedy clip for Sarah um, a couple weeks ago, and what was so great about him and Martin Luther King in that era is that they were leaders that were informing you. They were trying to give you information to make informed decisions for your lives, and it's a very powerful thing if you're and if you're seemingly not doing it for yourself and you're actually taking your story, your wisdom, and you're gift wrapping it to people so they can make informed decisions. That's it's a really powerful thing to do and, and a great way to spend your time, I think. So um, you can do it and hang a shingle while you're doing it. <laughs> well, it's great. It, it, yeah, and it seems like you found a real way to um, harness that passion for trying to make a difference in the world yeah. in, in this new in this new way. And it's really fantastic. Yeah. Aw, thank you. Well, that's, well, we're, we're, we're adding to it. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. You know? It's and a, it's a big conversation. It. Yeah. There's a lot of people yeah. doing a lot of amazing work. Um, yeah. I hear Sarah, you did the audio book for Yanya Lalich. Yeah. She, that book was so helpful to me, but I also had a t- hard time reading, which was just part of my PTSD. Mm. And I, and I, but I could listen, I could listen and walk, but I couldn't sit down and read. Sitting still is hard. Still is hard for me as Nippy can attest to. Um, and I basically kept harassing her. I said, listen, you need an audio book for people like me. And basically gave myself a job <laughs> and recorded it, which was a wild process because I had to read it again and read it without crying. And yeah, many paragraphs I had to read multiple times, but it's it's such a good book. It's, it's my, the, the thing probably I recommend the most, that and combating cult mind control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she's absolutely amazing. Um, I, I I have just put out a book myself, and she gave me a little endorsement. It was really she's fantastic of her. And then I What's I just recorded. Called? It's called "Do As I Say: How Cults Ooh. Control, Why We Join Them, and What They Teach Us About Bullying, Abuse, and Coercion." And I just well, recorded I think... the audio book. It was like oh. a four day process, and I don't know how you do that. That was so hard. hard. <laughs> it's really oh, hard. Dude. I did my. I've only done two. I've done her book and my book, and. It's really difficult, and I'm a voiceover actor. And yeah, I find it difficult. So, but maybe we should have you on our podcast, and we can talk to you about your book. Oh, let's do it. That would be amazing. Let's do it. That would be amazing. Yeah, you can be one of our experts. <laughs> I really yeah. shy away from the word expert. It's like so do well. I. Actually, <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I you're just not, say I have a story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you you are you'll technically be one because you wrote a book. But um, yeah, I think I have to embrace it. <laughs> you have to embrace it. Uh, you have to embrace it. And we'll be in Atlanta, and that might be easier with the time zones, or maybe harder. I don't even know. But 
we'll figure it out. Oh, I see how you're doing. Well, good luck with, with the move. Um, oh, yeah, before, we'll need it. <laughs> <laughs> before we finish up, though, is there anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to talk about? I think, I mean, again, just a plug for hashtag I got out for that community. If there's any listeners who want to dial into that and there's some like free writing workshops with Jurette Bouillon who also wrote another great book called The Everyday Cult. She was one of our, someone we interviewed on our podcast. Um, I love that community and I love, I love the community that's formed in, you know, on social media through, through our pod. It's, I in, invite people to join and check it out and not in a culty way, in a <laughs> educational way. <laughs> where, where are the best places for them to find you? I would say a little bit culty on Instagram or myself, Sarah Edmondson on Instagram, Nippy's at Anthony Ames 11 at Instagram. We're on Twitter, but we're, we're just, we're just, it's, we're, we're just getting, fi- we're TikTok. just getting geared up. Mm-hmm. We're getting geared up for TikTok and YouTube, like all that stuff. We have to hire people because we're just so old is what it is. And we have two kids too. And we have two kids. We're old and we have two kids. We're like senior citizens. we don't go around citizens. twerking, twerking about our cult, Sarah. <laughs> no, <laughs> we, left that for, we left the twerking for some other people who shall remain <laughs> nameless. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Anyway. Well, fantastic. Uh, All those links will be in the show notes. And um, just thank you both so much for your time today and for the work that you're doing. Thanks to the Sarahs. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) team Sarahs and the Nippy. Thanks so much for listening. And you can find links to A Little Bit Culty and Sarah and Nippy's social media channels and other resources in the show notes. If you've been personally affected by involvement in a cult or would like to support those who have been, you can find support or donate to cult information and family support if you're in Australia via kifs.org.au, cifs.org.au. And you can find resources outside of Australia with the International Cultic Studies Association via icsahome.com. Let's Talk About Sects is produced and presented by me, Sarah Steele. Sound design and music is by Joe Gould. This bonus episode was edited by Matt Brazel. My thanks to Sarah Edmondson and Anthony Nippy Ames for speaking with me. You can access ad-free episodes and support the production of this independent podcast via Patreon, patreon.com slash ltaspod, or with a one-off donation or merch purchase. Season five of the show is shaping up to be a great one and will launch in September. Until then, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you again soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.